invite you to take your Bibles, and we're going to be back on the book of Psalms this morning, looking at Psalm 29. Psalm 29. We are working our way through the Psalms this summer. Um, We're just kind of taking them in order. This morning, we have ourselves at Psalm 29, which if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a blue one in front of you, and you can find it on page 509. 509. I was really hopeful when I woke up because you're going to see there's a lot of thunderstorm imagery in here and I thought, man, that would be cool, Lord, if you just had some thunderstorm going during this. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm, I'm hoping that at just the right moment there's going to be a thunderclap that will just... That's not up to me. All right, Psalm 29. Hear the word of the Lord. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry, Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, one of my most memorable moments from childhood was one summer when my family was up at a a cottage we used to go to every summer on a lake in Michigan. And this was a a really old cottage. I mean, like a hundred-year-old thing that was not kept in great repair. And in the upstairs, it had these big windows that had just screens. There was no glass whatsoever. And the way that you kept out the other weather was these big wooden doors that like flipped out or up or down. And so you you took those in at night, locked them up, or you kept them open if the weather was nice. And there was this big storm coming one time. So we had, we had hurried inside. I remember like just that rush of like, oh man, that, those clouds are moving fast. So we get inside. We're upstairs in that part. Put these wooden doors down. And with all the doors down, plus the darkness outside, it was pretty dark in this room. So as a kid, you know, you're kind of excited, a little scared because there's a storm coming. And it wasn't long after we just got everything shut, that the moment I will always remember happened. I can picture to this day, right, like if you took me there and put me in the room, I could show you right where I was standing, when all of a sudden there was a flash of light that filled the room. Now keep in mind, everything's shut up, so, but this is old, so there's little slits and cracks in the wood, you know, it's not in the best shape. But through those little tiny slits and cracks, this light was so bright that just through those slits, it filled up the room like it was noonday. So if that wasn't enough, at the exact same time, there was maybe the loudest boom I've ever heard in my life. 
It was one of those that when it went off, I thought it was an explosion, and the sound from it shook that old cottage. And I remember I dropped to the floor. I was pretty sure I was dead. If you've ever had a moment like that, you're like, that's it. Seven-year-old me is like, I'm out. That lightning strike and that thunderclap felt like an encounter with a power that was at the same time so thrilling and terrifying. It was fearfully amazing. And I think ever since then, I don't know about before, but ever since then, I've loved thunderstorms. I love the raw, unbridled strength and power on display, the bolts of lightning that crackle through the sky, and then that earth-rattling thunder that shakes you to your core. It's a power that is awe-inspiring and even at times a little unsettling. And that kind of thunderstorm power is what's on display here in Psalm 29. The whole psalm uses imagery from a storm to declare the glory and strength of our God. In fact, we're going to see that this psalm is all about the Lord and his mighty name. You might have heard it. One of the, one of the benefits of reading scripture out loud is I hope you kept hearing the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. 18 times in 11 verses, God's name shows up. And even more specifically, this psalm is about the voice of the Lord. So in verses 3 to 9, seven times you heard the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. The psalm is almost written, they think. There's repetitions and, and themes that's almost as though you can hear the storm as you read it, this rumbling of the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. It's just a bombardment. And in many ways, this psalm is the perfect follow-up to what we saw last week, right? Sometimes there is intentionality in the ordering of psalms. And so what was the prayer of Psalm 28, verse 1? Don't be silent, God. Hear me and don't be silent. Well, here in Psalm 29, guess what? God is not silent. In fact, his voice thunders with power and glory. So that's what's happening on one level. It's almost a response. But there's, there's even more going on here than what's immediately obvious to us. This doesn't jump out to us. You've got to know a little background here. What's happening here is this psalm is written in the style of ancient war poetry civilizations of the time, not just the Israelites, all the peoples, they would write these poems or songs that were used to celebrate the strength and glory of their king who was victorious in battle. Typically, these songs would use this vivid imagery taken from nature and most often from storms to praise the power of their king. We have several examples of that type of war song in our Bibles. Listen to part of Exodus 15. You might know it as the Song of Moses, where Moses leads the people in singing after God gets victory over the Egyptians in the sea. Listen for language and ideas that make you think, oh yeah, that's Psalm 29. Exodus 15 says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. 
The Lord is his name. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The Lord will reign forever and ever. Do you hear it? You hear Yahweh is a man of war. He triumphs over his enemies. You got wind, you got waters, you got sea, and God is shown to be superior to all other gods. And he will reign forever. Same stuff we've got going on in Psalm 29. Listen to one other example in Judges 5. This is after God uses Deborah and Barak to defeat his enemies. Listen to the song they sing. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Sire, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled. And the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. So again, you've got the Lord going out to battle. And what do you see? You see the earth trembling. You see mountains quaking and the heavens dropping rain as he comes. These war songs use this storm imagery to celebrate the victory of God the King and to show that he ruled supreme over every other would-be God. So in some ways, our psalm this morning is similar to Psalm 24, like what we just sang a little bit ago, where the king and his entourage come to the gates of a city and the temple and they declare the greatness of the king, saying, "'Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors.'" That the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? It's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord strong in battle. And it's that same strong and mighty God of glory that we see in Psalm 29. So why is all this background important? Why am I telling you all this background before we even get into the text? Because I think this will help frame it. It will help set our understanding down the right path to know, okay, what's going on in Psalm 29? What is this song actually about? And what this psalm is doing is declaring that our God is king and he reigns supreme over every other would-be God. His power and might and glory are unrivaled. And David wrote this song because Israel needed to see that. And so do we. We need to sing and celebrate and be reminded there is no one and nothing like our God. There's a lot of strong forces and powers in the world, but when they come toe-to-toe with our God, it's not an even match. He is unrivaled. And we're going to see how that's really good news for us. So we're going to see this idea that our God is superior and stronger than every other God as we go along. So what I want to do is Let's dig in and listen together as the God of glory thunders in this psalm. The psalm's going to break down into three sections. In our headers, I'm just going to give you one word for each section. In verses 1 to 2, we're going to talk about glory. Verses 3 to 9, thunder. And verses 10 and 11, throne. Glory, thunder, throne. 
That's where we're going. So let's look first at the glory in verses 1 and 2. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So right out of the gate, the psalm starts the same way we start our services, with a call to worship. It calls for certain things to be ascribed or given to the Lord. What things? Glory and strength. In other words, give Him glory. Honor Him as strong and glorious. Why? Verse 2. Because glory is due His name. In other words, it's appropriate. It's right. It's fitting because His name is worthy of glory. Remember, this whole psalm is dedicated to that purpose. To glorifying the name of Yahweh above every other God. Showing that he is stronger, more powerful, more majestic, more worthy of your affection and trust than anything else out there. Now glory is a big deal in a psalm. Twice it's mentioned here that it's what should rightly be ascribed to God. Then in verse 3, Yahweh is called the God of glory. And then down in verse 9... After we hear his voice thundering, all those in his temple respond by crying, glory. So we got to ask, what is glory? It's a church word, right? Like, if you've ever been to church, you've probably heard the word glory. And we use it frequently. We sing it in a lot of our songs. But we don't often just pause and think, what does that actually mean? What am I saying when I say glory? Let me give you a few thoughts. The first is, Glory is actually pretty hard to define. So we're, gonna, we're trying to define it, and the first thing I want to tell you is that's hard to do. It's, it's kind of like beauty. How do you define beauty to someone? Somebody says, hey, what do you mean by beauty? Like, just mull that over in your head for a second. Like, where do you start? How do you articulate what beauty is? Mainly, you know it when you see it. We less often explain it. We more point at it, right? We say, that's, that's beautiful. Oh, do you hear that? That's beautiful. See that? That's beautiful. Beauty is something experienced more than explained. And glory is like that. And in the same direction, the second thing we see about glory is that as we use the word glory, it's connected to magnificence or great beauty. It has to do with the worth and the value of something. It has to do with honor and praise. So that something glorious, if I say that is glorious, it has exquisite beauty, it is incredibly valuable, and it is worthy of highest praise. That's what we're to ascribe to God. God, you have exquisite beauty. You are incredibly valuable, and you are worthy of highest praise. Third thing we see about glory is that in the Bible, God's glory is connected to his holiness. They're not the same, but they are connected. So when we say that God is holy, what do we mean? Well, we mean that he's unique. He's one of a kind. That's why we sing, nothing can compare. There is no other God like you. There's no one that's even close His holiness is the infinite perfection of all that he is in himself. 
His infinite greatness, infinite value, and infinite goodness. You can think of it as God's holiness is all that makes him uniquely God. It's his Godness. That's his holiness. So what is his glory then? His glory is when all that holiness, all that makes him who he is as God, gets put on display for us to see. His holiness is who he is inside. And when that shines forth, we say, that's glory. It's the going public of his holiness. So back to Psalm 29. When it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, it means rightly credit him. Rightly recognize him for how amazing and valuable and worthy he is. Acknowledge his beauty, his might, his justice, his greatness, his wisdom. Give credit where credit is due. And verse 2 ends by saying, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Now, sometimes we, we read that, and some people will take it to mean the splendor is what we have on. But most commentators agree that when it's talking about the splendor of holiness, it's talking about his splendor. The splendor of his holiness. The words used here are often used to describe a king in his royal robes. So the picture that David is painting is that as God is robed in all his glory and in the beauty of his holiness, the only right response is to bow down and worship. But what's really interesting here, I don't know if you caught this, is who is being called to bow and worship. This isn't a call directly to the people of Israel. Up in verse 1, who is given all these commands to ascribe glory to the Lord? It says, O heavenly beings. Literally, the phrase is sons of God. Now, there is some uncertainty about who exactly these beings are. There's basically two main possibilities. One possibility is they could be the angels in heaven. In other words, the angels in heaven are being called to join us in worship. Similar to what we sing when we sing the doxology, right? Praise him above ye heavenly host. That's what we're doing. We're saying, hey, you guys praise him like we're praising him now. That could be. But I think the more likely option of what's happening here is that these heavenly beings are other false gods. Other spiritual beings that would vie for supremacy with the true God. Now I say that because remember what the psalm is doing. It's declaring the superiority of Yahweh over every other God. That he is stronger and more glorious than any other. And we see the same idea, the same idea of other beings or other gods referenced in a couple other places. Psalm 89.6 says, Who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Psalm 86 There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. And most helpfully, I think, back in Exodus 15, where we looked at that war song, we read in verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? 
So just like in all these other places, here in Psalm 29, the heavenly beings seem to be these other powers that the nations worship, that these other peoples look to for strength and help. They don't look to, to God, they look to these other little g-gods, and they say, that's where my hope is, that's where I'm putting all my worship, I'm giving them my money, my attention, my love, my life to these other things. And Psalm 29 is calling those wannabe gods to bow down and worship and give glory where it's due. To the only true and living God. To Yahweh the King. It says, hey, all you wannabes, it's time you acknowledge who the real king is. He's not just calling God's people to worship him. He's saying everything in creation, all you lesser powers, bow to the ultimate power. Now, what does that have to do with us? Like, that's fascinating that there's a spiritual thing going on. Wasn't aware of that, but wow, that's really far from my life. Here's the point for us. If these competing gods, the things that other people look to as so strong and so powerful, if they bow down and worship Yahweh, how much more should we? The fact that verses 1 and 2 is directed at these other heavenly beings doesn't get us off the hook from ascribing God the glory he's due. We don't read that and say, oh, never mind, that's not actually talking to us. Instead, it heightens our calling to worship him for the beauty and splendor of his holiness. So right off the bat, we're reminded here that Yahweh is superior to all other gods, so much so that they are called to bow down and worship to the one true king. Now, in verses 3 to 9, we're going to see this God of glory thunder with his voice. So let's walk through these verses together. We're going to take them just a chunk at a time. Look first at verses 3 and 4. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Now, in these verses, what David's doing is he's painting a picture for us. The picture is, obviously, it's of a thunderstorm. Specifically, it's of a thunderstorm gathering over the Mediterranean Sea. It's almost as though David's sitting in his throne, and he's looking out, and he sees a, a storm gathering over the sea, and then it moves eastward, making landfall in the north, in Lebanon, and then it sweeps down the length of the promised land to Kadesh in the south. David, as he recounts the path of the storm, what it's doing is he's watching a storm, so to speak, and he's using all of it to see and say the power and glory that he sees in God alone. But it's probably not a coincidence that David chooses a thunderstorm as his main image here. There's lots of things he could have used, but why a thunderstorm? Remember, this song has an agenda. It's declaring that Yahweh is stronger and more glorious than the gods of the nations. Well, one of the more popular gods of the day was a god named Baal. And guess what Baal was known as? The god of the storm. He was often depicted as riding on dark clouds with lightning bolts in his hand. So here, in Psalm 29, what David is doing is he's basically taunting the weaker thunder of Baal 
compared to the thunder of Yahweh, the God of glory. He's using the very symbols and imagery that the people used to ascribe power to their false god. And he says, let me show you that true power belongs to God alone. Verses 3 and 4 say his voice is powerful. His voice is full of majesty. And it thunders over these waters of chaos. We've seen that in Genesis, right? God was over the waters of creation and his voice spoke everything into existence. He was over the waters of the flood, which is mentioned down in verse 10. He was over the waters of the Red Sea when he saved his people by judging their enemies. The voice of Yahweh we're seeing rules over the waters and thunders his glory. That's first step. Verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Okay, so our storm is moving now. It started over the sea and Yahweh's over the waters. Well, now the storm makes landfall in Lebanon. Now, Lebanon, you probably know, was famous for its cedar trees. That's what they were known for. These were the strongest, most majestic trees of the day. Today, if I say, hey, what do you think of big trees? What do you think of? My guess is most of us think California redwoods. That's kind of the reputation they have. If you would have asked that question then and there, they would have said, the cedars of Lebanon. They're talked about in the Bible alone over 70 times. They are just a symbol of power. They're renowned for their strength. They're so well known for their strength that the people who worshipped the Mesopotamian gods said their gods used the cedars of Lebanon to build their houses. So here you've got the people thinking of the strongest materials that the strongest beings they can think of would use to build a house. And what happens? The voice of Yahweh snaps them like matchsticks. The power of Yahweh's voice is so much stronger than the strength of anything else that people might put their hopes in. Your God uses cedars of Lebanon to build his house? Watch what my God does to the cedars of Lebanon. If that wasn't enough, David goes after more false gods in the next line. When verse 6 refers to Lebanon and Syrian, it's talking about two famous mountains at the northern end of Israel, Mount Lebanon and Mount Syrian, which is another name for Mount Hermon. Guess what's significant about these two mountains? These mountains were said to be the home of several Canaanite gods. And when it says Yahweh, the Lord, makes them skip like a calf or a wild ox, the picture is that when Yahweh speaks, these mighty mountains scatter like a frightened animal. God is showing his glory over these weak and powerless idols. They pick mountains and saying, like, our gods live up in those big, strong, tough mountains. And he says, when Yahweh speaks, those big, strong mountains, they scatter like a frightened deer. Then in verse 7, we see the lightning. Look there. The voice of the Lord flashes forth in flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. So when Yahweh speaks, lightning flashes like flames of fire in the sky. And when he speaks, the wilderness is shaken. This, these verses, I think they're meant to have an impact on us like that story I told at the beginning. 
So that when we see the lightning and feel the thunder, when we think about, okay, when have I seen the flames of fire in the sky? When have I felt the wilderness, the place where I am shake? And when we see and feel that, it's supposed to make our eyes go wide. It's supposed to make our hearts flutter a little bit and leave us whispering, whoa. Have you ever, have you ever experienced a storm that way? Where that... That boom just comes and like, you know it's going to, you know it's storming, but you didn't realize it was that close and it just shocks you and you just kind of freeze and you say, whoa. That's what we sang about earlier. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The king of glory, the king above all kings. And it's significant here that now in a psalm, the storm has moved southward. We started in Lebanon, now we've moved down to Kadesh. This would have been the southern end of Israel. So what Dave is trying to show is that over all the land, from the north to the south, the voice of the Lord thunders his glory. And over all the land, King Yahweh reigns. His power is pervasive. It's on display everywhere. And then in verse 9, you got one more verse about the Lord's voice. It says, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. Now, we're not sure about that first phrase, about the deer giving birth. It could be right. That could be the right way to translate it. And it's, what it would be saying then is that the voice of the Lord is so powerful and so overwhelming that it causes animals to go into this premature labor. Maybe, but you probably have a footnote in your Bible that says that if, if we translate it with different vowels, because vowels were added later, so we're not positive that we've got the right vowels in there. If you put different vowels in there, a more likely translation is that God's voice shakes the oaks. Seems to fit better with what we're talking about, shaking trees. Here it says it shakes the oaks. Either way, whether it makes the deers give birth or shakes the oaks. Either way, the point is that his voice is shown to be powerful. So powerful that it strips the forest bare. If you think about forests, there are coverings. There's stuff that's happening down on the floor that if you're above it, you can't see it. But what Yahweh's voice does is that it lays it bare. It uncovers what was covered. And what's the result of all this? Verses 3 to 9. As Yahweh's voice is doing all this, when you see this overwhelming, majestic display of strength and power, when you behold the might of the storm, what kind of effect does that have on you? In his temple, all cry, glory. Because that's the only right response when we behold the power of God in his voice. It's awe and amazement. It's fearful wonder. It's a rejoicing with trembling so that all we can do is stand back and cry, glory. I wonder this morning, how long has it been? How long has it been since your heart was thrilled and overwhelmed by a sense of God's power and glory? Not just the last time you read something or you... You intellectually acknowledge that, yeah, he's powerful and glorious. But when's the last time that you found yourself stepping back saying, glory? 
Has your view of God perhaps grown too calm and placid so that you've forgotten how great he is? Maybe you need a good thunderstorm. When you open your Bible, are you looking for the lightning? Are you listening for the thunderclap? Because this same voice that shakes the earth and breaks the cedars still speaks to us today. In fact, how we experience the voice of God today is even more incredible than this. Back in the book of Exodus, we get a picture of the voice of the Lord speaking that's very similar to what we see in Psalm 29. As the people of God gather at Mount Sinai to receive the law, listen to what this scene was like. Hear it with fresh ears. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Sounds a lot like Psalm 29, doesn't it? Thunder, lightning, clouds, fire, trembling mountains. And when Moses speaks, God answers him in thunder. I mean, if you're there, if you're at Sinai, this is a storm unlike any storm you've seen. It was so bad that we read this. When all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. That's the voice of the Lord. When the God of glory thundered, it terrified the people. The voice of the Lord was like a storm that they knew. When they watched it, they're like, that's stronger than anything else. Stronger than any idol, stronger than any power, stronger than any would-be God. And when the voice of the Lord was heard in the storm, his strength and glory were seen. But as incredible as that was, what if, what if the storm put on skin? What if the voice of the Lord spoke differently? What if the thunder of God's glory came down to us as one of us? Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, when Jesus came, he came as the word of God, speaking and showing the strength and glory of God. The word became flesh and we have seen his glory. And on the cross, the word of God spoke with a voice that conquered every enemy and every idol. 
When Jesus took our sins and went to the cross in our place, when he cried out with his voice, it is finished, the God of glory thundered. The lightning bolt of forgiveness lit up the darkness of your heart. The love of God rolled in our hearts like thunder, shaking us to our core so that we now tremble with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So when we look at the cross and see how much stronger our God is over every enemy, every would-be, pretend authority, all of us in his temple can't help but stand back and cry, glory. That is what we see in Jesus. So friend, can I invite you today to let your heart be thrilled by the God of glory. The invitation to Jesus is not an invitation to just simply adhere to a new set of rules and principles. It's an invitation to let your heart be thrilled by the same power that we see in Psalm 29. Hear his voice thundering grace and mercy to you in the person of Jesus. We don't need to fear the storm anymore. The storm that terrified them at Sinai, we don't need to fear it. Hebrews 12 tells us, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a storm and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. That's not where you've come today, friend. But you have come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Friends, we have not come this morning to a storm that threatens to take our lives. We've come to Jesus who gave his life for us so that we might live. So what do we do with that? Hebrews tells us. So today, if you hear his voice, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Instead, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He is a sovereign storm of holiness. And that brings us to the end of the psalm. We've seen glory, we've seen thunder, and the psalm ends with a throne. Look at verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Throughout this psalm, remember the purpose has been to show that God is stronger and more glorious and triumphant over anything and anyone else that would dare vie for supremacy. He is the unrivaled king overall. What we see here is that when you're in the midst of a bad storm, when, you're, when it's really storming outside, and I don't mean a little rain shower, I mean when stuff is going crazy, it can feel utterly chaotic, can't it? Wind blowing, lightning crashing, trees falling, thunder booming, everything feels out of control. And yet what do we see in verse 10? That in the midst of the storm, the Lord is on his throne. 
what seems like chaos to us in verses 3 to 9. There are the most massive trees are being broken. The ground is shaking. Mountain ranges are moving. Do you get that? Like this is chaotic. The earth is coming undone. And yet, what seems like chaos to us is being ruled over by our king. Even the most powerful forces in the universe must bow their knee to him. That's the strength and glory of our victorious king. And the psalm ends with the best part, I think. After we've seen the incomparable strength and power of our God, we see in the last verse that all that strength, all that might, all that power is working for the good of his people. Look at verse 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The God who is so strong that he breaks the cedars, makes mountain skips, and shakes the wilderness, gives that strength to us, his weak people. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. We are weak, but he is strong. And so this summer, one, here's a takeaway for you, real simple. This is for you too, kids. When you see a thunderstorm, when you hear the rolling thunder and see his power throughout the universe displayed, I want you to know that when the God of glory thunders, his voice is speaking strength and peace to you. When you hear that thunder, I, I don't want it to instill fear of, uh-oh, I want thunder every time you to hear, that's the God of glory thundering. And what is he doing? He's giving strength to his people and he's blessing his people with peace. That's what thunder is meant to do for the people of God. Not to terrify us, but to say all that power is for me in Jesus. So when he does, when he does thunder, may our souls this summer and always sing, My God, how great thou art. And let all in his temple cry, glory. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Psalm 29. Thank you that you inspired David to give us this picture of how strong and majestic and powerful and glorious you are. Father, would you heighten our perception of those things? We see them and yet we confess we see them so weakly, so dimly. Would you help us this week to be captivated by your glory? To see you as incomparably precious and valuable and worthy. Lord, would we be amazed in the same way that a, a thunderstorm would take our breath away and instill awe and wonder. Would you do that this week in our hearts as we contemplate you and your son? God, thank you for a creation that declares your glory. Thank you that we can see your power hinted at in the storms that roll through. Would you help us now to praise you and give the glory that is due your name? We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,